This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 138 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, July 3rd, 2022. I'm your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we're battling yet another light news week, and we'll do that with reviews of the SteelSeries Nova Pro wireless headset and offer impressions on the latest horror title in Phobia St. Dymphna Hotel. After that, we'll rock some listener mail, talk a little bit of Halo Infinite, and we are joined by the developers of Phobia to close out the show. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wanting to do each and every week, I like to start show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness are extended to my brother Gabe, who texted me just a few days ago and told me that he was really enjoying the Red Out 2 interview, and it blew my mind. I did not know that you listened to the show, brother. I love you so much. I appreciate you. It absolutely makes my day to know that you do listen. Um, that was just the, the highlight of my week, man. So it was really cool to know that. Um, and, you know, bonus points, you, you're checking out Red Out 2 now. So that's really, really cool. My brother is an avid Switch player. Uh, he loves Mario. He loves Pokemon. Checks out those games uh, and the card game for Pokemon as well. Really cool to see him enjoying that. I specifically bought uh, Mario Strikers Battle Charged so that we could play together. We haven't done it just yet. Um but I do need to go up and visit. My mom had COVID for a bit. She seems to be doing a lot better. So I'm looking forward to an in-person visit soon. Uh, that's for sure. But it was really cool to hear from my brother, knowing that he listened to the show. That was, that was a cool uh, moment for me. So that's what's up. Uh, if you are new to XEP, please remember to review the show over on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. If you're checking it out there, like and subscribe, etc. Uh, that helps me compete with some of the bigger shows out there as a solo act. It's always appreciated to know that there are people uh, willing to check out XEP and offer support where they can. I really appreciate all of you guys uh, for checking out the interviews, for hearing my impressions, for dropping comments and support. Uh, it's just awesome. So I appreciate all of you. Now, as I said, it was another light news week, which makes sense given that it, the the faux E3 events have now uh, past us. We've got kind of this month of quiet as a lot of the devs have released the announcements that they're planning to release. And we're in this kind of quiet lull period, which is a great time to catch up on, on gaming, work through your backlog, uh, check out, you know, some of the indie titles that maybe you've missed that kind of stuff. Uh, but there is a little bit of news that came through this week regarding Halo Infinite. And I feel like Halo Infinite is such a regular talking point on this show. And it would make sense given that it's Microsoft. Microsoft's flagship franchise, but uh, for better or worse, they continue to make headlines via their their uh, pod drops and just little things here and there. And this week, they are discussing their co-op endeavors. Now, 
long talked about has been the fact that Halo Infinite launched without co-op, a staple feature that was in previous Halos, uh, not here in Halo Infinite at this point. However, they are getting set to do some flighting, meaning uh, that insider programs can beta test the the ability to play co-op with your friends in the campaign mode uh, of Halo Infinite. That's going to begin on July 11th and run through July 22nd. Uh, you won't be able to activate your previous Halo campaign. You'll have to start from scratch. You do need to sign up for this one, but you can check it out even if you have just uh, the game or a Game Pass subscription. There you go. That's absolutely fine. Um, it is... Exciting for me to see that this is happening. They're introducing features like Mission Replay, which is really smart when you have an open world game that you can tackle different missions at different times. Mission Replay will let you check out uh, certain campaign specific things that you need to do in order uh, with your partner. That'll be really cool to see uh, for co-op with up to four players, I should note. Um, I am interested in this but i'm not checking out the beta portion i'm not interested in the, the flight i'm more appreciative of those that are checking it out for us and letting them test out different things that they're doing for example one of the things you can't go too far from your partners uh if you're playing co-op right they're testing out those features uh it'll kick you back if you're too far straying too far apart in the open world um, i'm happy to let people flight that and check it out themselves i'm more inclined to wait until the full release of this particular feature. I love the Halo Infinite campaign, but I'm just not one for betas. Uh, it's just really not my jam. I'm not not designed for that. Um, but I am glad to see that it's making progress. I'm anxious to hear how the, the multiplayer flighting goes for the campaign co-op for sure. And just how important that that zone of uh, that area of operations zone that they're implementing to keep you from straying too far from your team. I'm curious to know how big that is and, and see the feedback on that as well. Because if it's really big, then I'm not worried about it. I don't intend to split to all four corners of the map with my co-op team. I want to stay with them. That's why we're playing together. But I'm sure speedrunners and, and game breakers are interested in checking that out for sure. Uh, the part that does kind of irk me a little bit is that you'll be playing alongside four Master Chiefs. It's kind of a bummer to not be able to see the customizable Spartans that we've been paying money for in multiplayer, making progress in battle passes for in multiplayer, show up in this feature. But again, this is the beta portion. There's still time to implement that. Um, it was really neat in the... Uh, oh my gosh, what were they called? What are they calling them? The, the You know, like the Fractured events where we got uh, a little bit of story DLC here and there. When we saw the the land grab event we got to see our customizable spartan in a cutscene. that was something i really liked from halo reach and i would really like to see it implemented here as well with halo infinite's uh multiplayer but you know so it goes so it goes uh also neat is that forge is consistently showing more and more progress and we'll see that into multiplayer beta as well i'm excited to see that come out but all in all when they're in testing phases I'm, I'm, I'm abstaining from that. That's not really my jam. I love Halo Infinite's multiplayer. It's great. But having maxed both battle passes uh, and playing quite a bit of it anyway, uh, I'm starting to bore of it a little bit, and I'm ready for something fresh with Halo Infinite. So there you go. So guys, I talked about it in last week's episode, but for the past three weeks or so, I've been checking out the Arctis Nova Pro wireless headset. Now, SteelSeries makes this headset, and they did send me a review unit, so please keep that in mind as you hear my impressions of it. But after having checked out the unit, uh, I'm really impressed with it. Now, you would expect that with a $350 price tag. That is a very expensive headset uh, when you can get other stuff that that is... Uh, kind of in, in the budget realm. This is not one of them. This is kind of that 
top tier gaming headset before you get to audiophile levels. Um, I'm really liking the Nova Pro wireless headset. I think it's a, a really nice upgrade from the Arctis line that has already been pretty darn impressive. It's extremely light and very comfortable. My One of my favorite features that it has as well is that you can hot swap the batteries. The, the unit comes with like a... a a docking station that you can not a docking station for the, the unit. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. It comes with a unit that USBs into your Xbox and then gives you different adjustable levels. It's got like an LCD screen and, and you can tune different like uh, abilities within there. If you want to scroll over for, for louder audio with your game chat versus uh, your party chat, Bluetooth, that kind of stuff. But that stand doubles as a, a power charger for your unused battery because the unit comes with two batteries, one that you're in use and the other one that is can be permanently charging at all times. So you never run out of battery. You never need to hardline it into anything. That's a really cool feature that I really like as well. Also to note kind of on that, the unit itself can hold a charge while you are swapping that battery so you don't have to reboot and reconnect, uh, which is kind of cool as well. It won't last long, but it'll last enough time for you to swap those batteries, and that's really, really cool. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed as I'm testing other headsets as well, like I'm working on the Turtle Beach uh, Stealth 700 Gen 2 Max headset review. In comparing that headset, which is, of course, notably cheaper, but comparing that to any SteelSeries product, continuously I go back to SteelSeries being the most comfortable of headsets in large part due to the ski headband that that comes with it. You don't feel that pressure uh, of kind of that top bar on a headset that you might otherwise. The Nova Pro Wireless is also have that, that ski band there, and that's kind of a staple SteelSeries thing. And I really like it. It makes a big difference in terms of comfort. So I've been using the Nova Pros for hours on end uninterrupted. And I don't feel kind of that headset fatigue that you can get. I'm one that's very sensitive to that. I get headset fatigue. Like there are times where I'm just, I'm ready to take off a headset from having it on for too long. Uh, I have not experienced that with the Nova Pro wireless headsets in any way, shape or form compared to others. And that's a really cool improvement for me. Um, another cool win for this one is that it works on Xbox. You, if you get the Xbox version, it will tap into Xbox via the proprietary chip. If you're unfamiliar, all Xboxes use a proprietary uh, chip for their audio. So you have to have a headset that is Xbox specific with it. Of course, you can do that with, with the Xbox version of the Nova Pros. But it's also cool that the sa that same headset that you get will work on PC, will work on PlayStation, will work on mobile via Bluetooth as well, because all of that is customized in there. In that same, uh, oh my gosh, I, the same like LCD unit that, that USBs into your Xbox, it also has a USB port uh, for you to plug in a, a second unit. So like you can link this headset to your PS5 and your Xbox at the same time and just toggle in between them. And that's a really cool thing to do. Uh, as well. I really like that. Some of the more noted features that come with the Nova Pro that I have found to be really darn impressive, all things considered, particularly if you're using it on PC, is that you've got uh, acoustics, Nova Pro acoustic system and premium high fidelity drivers that have full immersion 360 spatial audio. Now, joking aside, that 360 spatial audio is really, really effective. I found that very useful in different games that make use of it. Uh, different types of shooters playing Halo Infinite, you'll hear people all around you at different points, and that spatial sound uh, is just really useful for helping you get that little bit of leg up on somebody running up behind you or whatnot. Um, I could lie and tell you that it's made me a better player. It hasn't. It's just let me know where I'm going to die from faster, uh, which is kind of cool. 
Another kind of cool thing about this is that this headset is compatible with Microsoft's spatial sound software and Tempest 3D audio for PS5. So if you are a multi-platform gamer, you can get this version and play it on your, your Series X and PS5 without losing anything. And that's really cool as well. Something also that I have been gaining experience with because as you can tell i'm not a super techie person i'm more the plug and play type and so i was a little intimidated by by the nova pros at first uh, but i found it to be very user friendly apart from my initial trepidation when i opened up the box and saw like you know these different pieces it, it was very well packaged it reminded me of unboxing the series x actually but once i kind of like relaxed i started to make use of the different features as well like active noise cancellation and it's got a transparency mode that's just a one-button toggle. So you can hear everything around you uh, if you want to. Or you can toggle on, on uh, the, the noise cancellation function, which is really neat. Above each earpiece is a microphone that will hear noises from around you. Ambient noises, loud noises, crashes, things like that. Uh, and pipe in like an inverted frequency to that sound so that you don't hear it with nearly the same impact. It worked really well with construction and dishwasher sounds, the, the dryer, that kind of stuff. Like if you have a loud fan in your room, it works really well on that kind of stuff. I didn't think it worked quite as well on things like my dog barking. I'm testing this in the lead up to July 4th. I've heard a lot of fireworks. Um, I don't hear them that much, but if my dog like loses her mind, uh, I'll hear her barking, but it's with far less intensity. It, it has really helped actually my anxiety in hearing her bark uh, at the fireworks because the noise cancellation has helped a bit. So, so know that that's a kind of a cool thing going on. Uh, I also dig the fact that it Bluetooth to my wireless device and I can switch back and forth between them. That has been a really nice feature that was lacking, I think, in the Arctis 7s that I use often uh, was the ability to kind of just switch over to an... Uh, a Bluetooth at a toggle sign and just listen to music as well. And you can pipe in things simultaneously, but I have not made use of that feature in my, my time. I know that's something that's silly, but uh, what I've been doing, I use Spotify on the Xbox and that's, that's why. So that's why I haven't really had the need to do that, but it does let you do them simultaneously. And that is cool as well. Again, I, I want to stress the idea that this is the perfect multi-platform headset. I've got the PS5. I've got the Switch. Uh, it's got dual USB ports on the back of that LCD unit, and that's really, really cool. Um, so I'm really high on the Nova Pro wireless uh, headset. I would recommend it to anybody, knowing full well that it's a $350 headset. You are getting your money's worth. This is a best-in-class headset. And, and I absolutely love it. Um, but it is expensive and you do have to acknowledge that as I'm, as I'm checking out the turtle beach, you know, stealth 700, those are a little bit of a cheaper headset on the market. And it feels like it, like I'm really feeling that big difference in the two. Now, Anubis wrote in and asked if I'd tried the nine X's that's an Arctis line also from steel series. Uh, and he wanted me also to compare to as many headsets as I've used. So Anubis and anyone else, I have actively made use of the Arctis 9X, the 7X Wireless, and the Arctis Prime headsets. I use all of them extensively and regularly prior to the Nova Pros. And without a doubt, uh, I maintain that SteelSeries makes the best headsets that are most comfortable. But the Nova Pros stand out and they are a bit better than my preferred 7Xs. Those are the ones that I used over the 9X, uh, the 7X Wireless. Just I liked it better. Sometimes with Xbox, because they use a proprietary chip, you would get an audio drop in the 9Xs here and there, very sparingly, uh, but you would get it. I haven't had that happen once with the Nova Pros, and I never really had it happen with my 7Xs as well. Uh, 
The difference in the Nova Pros to me, apart from the stuff I've listed, is the is on the ear cups. They're leatherette, and that's really, really comfortable. It makes it really, really uh, easy to wear, and they're so light that I just kind of forget that I have them on. I absolutely recommend any Arctis line. Like the Steel Series is to me the best ones. Um, is it worth the, the the price uptick from like the 7X wireless to the Nova Pro? If you've got the money and it's not a hindrance, yes, it absolutely is worth the uptick. But I still think you can get a great headset with an Arctis 7X. Um, I have tested out rigs. I'm testing the Turtle Beaches, the other versions of the Arctis line. The Nova Pros are my favorite. They are my favorite. They were not in my first three days because I didn't quite understand the noise cancellation and the features. And I had to learn. I had to go watch other YouTubers because I am not the tech guy, right? But I'm I'm really pleased and, and happy with this headset. If you've got the money, because they are steep, it is a great headset to get. You will not go wrong. But inflation in the United States and worldwide is pretty rough right now. Gaming is expensive, and this is an expensive headset. You are getting what you pay for here. Quality is there. Um, but there are other good headsets on the market that you can probably get for less money if you don't quite have the ear or the audiophile levels. Um, but I'll always recommend SteelSeries be your go-to. I just like them. With the caveat that every SteelSeries product I've used, I've gotten for review. And I respect and understand that that is a, a, a gives any listener pause. So know that, I suppose, as you're going into it as well. Uh, let's see, let's go now, let's take a quick break and then let's do impressions for the horror title Phobia St. Dinfna Hotel. Later on in the episode, you will hear our interview with the developers of Phobia St. Dinfna Hotel. Uh, but I wanted to give you a few impressions of the game as well. Now this is a horror title priced at $30. So it's a budget horror title and it's modeled after classic Resident Evil titles. Uh, but updated controls a bit so like don't think tank controls resident evil think more like haunted mansion type stuff uh it's made by those who are very passionate for the genre they love and they, they clearly have have a big passion for resident evil and silent hill uh classic game setups the environments offer a really good sincere horror ambiance you work your way through several floors of a hotel and at various points, the story will kick you out into haunted houses and such. I'm about five hours into this one. They, they suggest the game can be finished in around nine to ten hours. So I've played about half of this one. I wanted to have enough experience with it to, to give a good interview for you guys later on in the episode. But I didn't end up finishing it, though I do have plans to go back. I just didn't finish it. And that's why this is an impressions statement versus like a review style statement. Um, I... I like the game so far, but it certainly has its problems. It certainly feels like it's a $30 horror title. And I will note that a lot of the reviews, including the ones by my friend Ainsley Bowden at Season Gaming, suggest that the game starts to, to wear out its welcome and that the ending of the game really has a lot to be desired. I haven't experienced that yet because I haven't gone that far into it, but I'm enjoying what I'm playing so far of it, working my way through this hotel, solving different types of puzzles, uh, and dealing with the very few enemies that the game offers. There are not a lot of enemy types or enemy variety, and those that you battle can be a little bit frustrating to battle given difficult shooting controls once you unlock your gun, uh, and lack of variety in enemy types just really does play a part here. 
Um, but it, for me, it was more about the ambiance and the puzzle solving. There's a really cool gimmick where you're granted a uh, camera with night vision, and that night vision, which is already inherently creepy, can toss you back into different time periods, and that will let you traverse the levels uh, in different ways and solve puzzles, where depending on the time time frame, time zone, time present, wherever you are, past or present, uh, the area is blocked off or it's not. So that has played a factor in moving about this haunted hotel. Although haunted may not be the right word. I'll let you guys check that out if you are interested. Um, there's a lot of reading in the game to solve the puzzles and figure out what's actually going on. Are you dealing with cultists? Are you dealing with ghosts? Are you dealing with monsters? Uh, some variation of them. Are they real people? Are they not in trying to solve the mysteries of St. Dinfina Hotel, you are doing a lot of reading, and that can t- push some people off. But I think that's kind of a staple of this type of the of horror game that you're getting. It's less shooting and more solving and progression. Mileage is going to vary on how, how long it takes you. I said I'm five, about five hours in uh, with St. Dinfina, and it depends on how easy the puzzles are. I've noticed that the the time tracker doesn't quite match up, and I'm wondering if that has to do, like, if you die and it kicks you back, maybe it erases the time that you're investing into it. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but I'm, I've am i enjoyed my time playing St. Dinfina Hotel, knowing full well that it's a budget horror title, and this is the studio's first project together. I liked this game uh, from what I've played of it, but I think this is a wait-for-sale title. Unless you're a devout horror fan, I would say wait for sale. Even though it's budget priced, uh, I think you'll you'll get more out of it knowing that you got a deal on it um, because it does have plenty of flaws. Controls can be a bit frustrating, not a lot of enemy variety, uh, and reused environments can certainly make there. But I did like it, and I do want to point that out. Like It's enjoyable. Um, I think when you listen to the interview later on in the episode, you will hear the passion of the devs, and that might help you a bit. That might even be something that's helping me in my impressions of it, like once you talk to the person making it, it's a little easier to realize uh, that they know about flaws, that they like different things. And, and uh, it's cool to hear how they tried to go about creating a horror atmosphere for you guys. That was that was kind of neat for sure. All right. Let's take a break and then get to some listener mail. Our first question this week comes from Mr. Todd Oxtra. He says, with Xbox now having a ton of unused IP and more coming with the Activision acquisition and their studios already committed to project, is it t- projects, is it time to start leveraging third-party or indie darlings to bring back some of the catalogs with remasters, remakes, and new entries? This is a great question, Todd. The idea that they've got so much untapped power in their IP, uh, how can they make use of it? Can they go and reach out to indie devs, reach out to third parties and get some of these games made? The answer is unequivocally, yes, that does need to happen. That should happen. Uh, However, I think there are a few caveats and things that we need to acknowledge here. They have brought back in recent years, Microsoft Flight Simulator, Battletoads, Perfect Dark, Fable, and we're even seeing signs of life in the Shadowrun franchise. So we have to acknowledge that they're already kind of doing this, bringing back old uh, IP. Now, unused IP or IP that we could see something and some signs of life for, Banjo-Kazooie or Conker, Phantom Dust, for me, a personal favorite would be 1 versus 100. Uh, They definitely need a kart racer of some kind. I really think they need that given the now extensive IP that they have to work with. I think it's important that they get a kart racer of some kind. It doesn't need to be Mario Kart, but it needs to be a kart racer that people can jump in. And if I were them, I would would make that bad boy free to play with a, a, a battle pass 
that is similar to Fall Guys or similar to Fortnite and and let that be how the game progresses as you can add characters in. I think that'd be cool to see. Um, they've already done a good job with Killer Instinct in the Xbox One generation, and that was kind of demonstrated in, in uh, the Xbox community over the last month that there's still a lot of life for that one. But I would argue that that's a bit of a niche thing. So I just put an asterisk next to the Killer Instinct franchise. Um, I would also personally love to see Crimson Skies make a return. That is a beloved Xbox One title. And I'm a big fan of... of fly third person flying games i often talk about rogue squadron i'll throw star fox in there and crimson skies would make a great candidate for it um i'm really confused as to why that hasn't happened either spiritually or in name why don't we have another crimson skies game it would be important for them to reach out and find someone to work on that maybe even a a shoot-off team from flight sim right take some of the lessons learned from the flights from microsoft flight simulator and put it in we've already seen the flight sim team have some fun with different types of, of competitions in flight simulator with different planes. You had the F 18, you had the Pelican, like maybe we make something happen there. I would really like to see that take place. Uh, Viva Pinata is also ripe for a revisit, I think, but the one that I would really want to see happen as particularly once the Activision stuff goes through is I want to bring back Skylanders. And I really hope that once, once the Activision, acquisition goes through in kind of a year from now mid 2023 june july 2023 uh what i want to see happen first of course is the addressing of toxicity getting rid of uh those that have made that place a difficult place to work but then like get toys for bob off of call of duty get them back doing something that they love i would love to see them work on skylanders I would love to see Spyro back in the mix. I would love to see Crash back in the mix. Uh, Seeing them interact with maybe some Microsoft IP on some comedic and fun level, cartoonish level, that would be really cool as well. If you got a Skylanders and you got the Viva Pinata characters in there as well. That's the kind of stuff I want to happen. Uh, I want to see those those Activision studios that were closed down or, or... pushed over to Call of Duty content, get them off Call of Duty content, adjust the studio structure. Some of those studios are gone and the developers that actually made games like that are gone, but rekindle some of those franchises. Yes, that does need to happen. Um, Bringing in indies to do that would be really cool. I would love to see what uh, a well-funded third party might do with the Banjo-Kazooie game, right? Or uh, that that Mech Assault uh, style approach would be really neat to see. Mech Assault needs to happen, right? There's Mech Warrior, which is doing well, It's but it's a niche title. It's like a very specific subset of gamers that are into it, and they're into it hard. It's kind of like World of Tanks. But yeah, I would love to see that one happen for sure. For sure. Uh, let's go to another question here. This one comes from Anubis. He says, uh, what have you been playing um, right now? And then he also said there's a new Rabbids game that has him very interested, but there's no marketing for it, not even in an English trailer that he can find. Um, man, uh, Anubis. So I've not seen the new Rabbids trailer. I kind of faded out on the Rabbids. I got kind of tired of them. Um, cool games. I really liked Rabbids and Mario. I liked that one. I bought both of them, but I only played one of them. Um, they're cool characters, but I kind of faded away from them and I didn't even know there was a new Rabbids game. So to your point, not some great marketing there, but what have I been playing lately, man? I'm still enjoying the bond games on my xbox 360 um that's been kind of fun but i've really hard gotten back into sea of thieves uh and i absolutely just am back in on being a pirate and that game is just so so good um 
that has that has occupied a lot of my time as I'm working on building my Athena rep. I finished up my plunder pass uh, for this season. I'm anxiously awaiting season seven. And consistently as I play it and have some incredible voyages uh, and some frustrating voyages, this is truly the game that gives and takes, right? There are nights where I have just turned off my Xbox so angry at myself or my crew or the the players that came in and just, you know, destroyed us kind of thing. Uh, there are days where I'm so angrily shouting to the sky that I want PVE. And then the next day I get everything I want from the game. Nobody bothers us or we, we win all of our battles. My crew is on point. I'm on point. It's, it's the game that gives and takes. And like what we have come to say in my crew uh, is that that's just the sea of thieves, right? It does give and it does take, and that's part of it. And it's really, really cool for me um, because I, I captain the ship. Uh, maybe the better word is pilot. It's the captain's use spot, but like it, I pilot the ship so I can see everything happening. Uh, and I can see it happen before my crewmates see it happen. So I'll get pre-frustrated or pre-excited <laughs> and they don't know why or how, uh, which is kind of fun to see happen. Um, but it has led to some, some moments where I'm like, hey, don't do this. And then they'll do it because they don't see the reason why I say it. Um, and then other times where if I make a bad call out, I've screwed over the whole crew, right? Um, there, there are times, man, that game is just the highs and lows of Sea of These are just so wonderful. It's one of those beautiful games uh, around and to high heavens, I keep screaming that I want PVE to, to exist servers where, uh, nobody can come in and ruin your day because this game has so much to offer in its environment and in the world, the world events are really cool. Now there's so much to do in this game. Uh, and it would be nice to not have other pirates come and get you. In fact, Brian Wagner, uh, shout out to Brian from crystal dynamics. Uh, Brian wrote in and said, why won't Rare add a PvE option to Sea of Thieves? And others chimed in on this one, um, interestingly saying things that like Rare Rare will block you if you are saying that on Twitter. Um, I don't know if that's the case. I've not experienced that because I often ask for PvE with Sea of Thieves. That said, um, consistently the answers we get, including one from my own crewmate and hometown hero, Kevin, uh, he even responded to Brian and said that like, the draw of sea of thieves is that tense feeling of like, what's this other crew going to do? We've got all this loot. The tenseness of losing that loot is what makes sea of thieves unique. And he's right. He is right. Um, that said, it does make it frustrating when you have people that are server hopping and out there just to grief and just to frustrate you. Um, there is a, a Twitch streamer who also has a YouTube channel, Hitbot or Hitbo. Uh, he makes some incredible guides, but I went to go watch his stream and his sole purpose was to stream or was to server hop to try and steal loot from people. And that sucks, right? Like I don't like that style uh, approach. I much prefer, and I often do alliance with other ships and hope that the alliance holds. Uh, and then we kind of mutually profit together. That's how I like to play a sea of thieves, but there are times where we'll throw up the Reaper flag and we'll let them know like, Hey, we're not alliancing. We're going to kill you. It's alliance or die, or it's, it's, you know, we're taking your loot. Um, there's so much in that world that I, I, I think Kevin is right that the PVP elements do make it unique, but I still stand by that. Like I want some PVE elements. Now, caveat, if you have a son or daughter or you have a, you want an uninterrupted voyage, there's a lot of story missions that can be done where nobody can interrupt you. There's some ongoing mysteries now. I've, I've played a few of them. They're actually really cool, really neat. Some, some drama on the sea of these in the lore community, which is really fun. But I'll always recommend you play A Pirate's Life. That is some dope Sea of Thievings. You get Jack Sparrow in there. Nobody can interrupt your voyage. That's, the, that's a great way to play Sea of Thieves. 
um, is to do the Pirate's Life campaign. It's just 10 hours of good, fun story, and, and I really, really like that as well. So that's what I'm playing mostly. I'm also a shout out to an, a small indie title that I think was even a mobile title, but has translated well to to a console called Red Siren. Real fun, simple, simple little shooty game. Um, having a good time. It was like 10 bucks, and I'm having a good time with that one, just kind of playing it randomly. It's a good fill-in game uh, as well. But yeah, that's that's what I've been uh, rocking a bit. I did check out Fall Guys as well. Fall Guys is fun. Um, not like my main game, but I did buy the Halo stuff because I bought the Halo stuff. That's just what I do. It's what I do. Brendan Myers writes in. This is going to be our last question this week before I send you over to that interview. He says, what are your opinions on some of the most overlooked games on the Xbox that you feel should get more credit than they do for being fun games? Um, that's tough. That's a tough one. And I'm not sure if you mean like Xbox specific games, because there's a lot of overlooked titles. Anyway, you and I actually talked about them in DMs, Brennan, um, when we mentioned the Sniper Elite franchise, often overlooked by people that don't realize just how much fun that series is. But uh, I, I interpreted your 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 question to be specific to Xbox first party. And I don't know if that was the correct way to do it. Um, I think often overlooked is sea of thieves because people have been griefed or frustrated and they don't want to go back to it. But a lot of strides have been made to let people to be, to let it be more friendly to new players and new people on the seas, a lot of more tutorial stuff, a lot more stuff to do. Um, and there's a lot of great access to that game, you know, via PC, via steam, via cloud, where you can just jump in. I think it is overlooked despite being, pardon me, despite being its most popular, Xbox's most popular franchise now. Like it is, it is everywhere. And that's really cool. Let's see. I'm Killer Instinct is overlooked as, and as being fun, but it's not one I play. I'll always point people towards Halo Wars 2. I think that's a really great game, underrated um, in terms of popularity, but it is really fun and I love it. Um, that's a tough question. I would actually, I'm going to extend this one to the community. If you guys wouldn't mind writing back uh, to you know, on Twitter to the whenever this live tweet goes up and just say like these are the overlooked games on Xbox that people should check out. That would be a really great thread to have. Overlooked games on Xbox that people should check out. Maybe make it Xbox specific, maybe not. Whatever comes to your mind. You know, I interpreted this as a as an exclusive one, but that doesn't mean you need to. Um, really drop in some love for games you think are overlooked. Put that in the, the twi- Twitter thread when I put up the show episode link, uh, which I usually do on Sunday evenings. Please put that up there and just let people know what is what is overlooked. Like, what should they be playing on, a, on, on their Xboxes that maybe get overlooked, right? That would be the way to do it. That's a great thread. Let's, let's have that be our closeout piece there. You can find me on Twitter at InsipidGhost. Uh, you can always email me insipidghost at gmail.com. Once again, shout out to my brother, Gabe. So appreciative that you listen, man. I love you so much. Um, and let's kick you guys over to the developers of Phobia St. Dinfna Hotel. Have a great week, guys. Alrighty, guys, I am very fortunate now to welcome onto the show Fabio Martins, the COO of Pulsatrix Studios, head director and art director for Phobia St. Dinfina Hotel. Fabio, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Luke, for inviting me to be here today. It's a pleasure to be here and talk a little about my, pro- my project. 
I'm very excited for you to talk about your project, which uh, is a horror title that I've been playing quite a bit over the last few days. If you could, can you describe what Phobia St. Dinfna Hotel is to the listeners? Uh, Phobia uh, is a first-person survival horror. Uh, we try to bring some influences from the the old school survival horror games like the the, the early Resident Evil, Silent Hill, and Fatal Frame, and some kind of games like that. So uh, we we fought on the game on being like this this old school feeling of the game, like a lot of puzzle solving, a lot of environmental exploration, and all that kind of stuff that this these old players loved on that game that maybe it's a little bit lost on on this new 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 kind of games that are coming up right now on, on, on the other gender. That's interesting. I found that when I was playing the game, I could feel the inspirations of Resident Evil and, and Fatal Frame, as you said. Uh, what parts of those games were you truly trying to capture with your game? Yeah, I think Resident Evil is like the our our main reference for for gameplay, uh, our main inspiration. Uh, we just try to take a lot from the the inventory management, uh, the the kind of puzzle solving, the backtracking where you can just pick up an item and an item and go back to a place that you already already have been before and uh, use that item to to open a new passage, to solve a new puzzle. So you just go back and forth on the environment. We try to explore a lot on the, the environment of the hotel. Uh, you just go through the floors up and down and solving puzzles that you were not able to do it before. Uh, I think that one of the the main things that we try to bring from these games that is like this backtracking and the kind of the the atmosphere that we try to bring the kind of a, an attention to the atmosphere it's not like using not much of a jump scares and anything like that we just try to bring in a, a dense and heavy atmosphere to that can maybe make the player feel uncomfortable all the time I noticed that as well. I was uncomfortable through my time playing with the game uh, thus far, and I've found that the game is light on jump scares, but when they're there, they get me very well. Um, what, how did you go about building that atmosphere and then deciding when a good jump scare is appropriate? Yeah, yeah, we just tried tried to to manage manage this from the beginning because jump scares are nice. They are a good addition if they're well used and it's just small and specific places uh, but overall we just wanted to build that tension uh, we relied a lot on on sound designing I think the sound designing our sound designer did a great job on making uh, the the wood cracking the footsteps and all these small little noises that that just start to bring the environment uh, to a whole new level and maybe bring all this tension to the environment. So I think we're just uh, planning to have these small little scares like the the spiders, the little spiders that maybe can jump on your face if you don't look closely to the environment you're walking. So that's what we, we were planning. We wanted the player to to be scared to turn a corner and because he don't know what's there, so he just had to walk carefully through through the environments because 
they don't know what is there and mostly on the on the on the most times uh there there won't be anything but when when there's something he surely be scared and i think that's the part where the jump scared work better when people are not are not waiting to be scared i think that's the part when they're most effective I'm inclined to agree with that logic, and it certainly does seem to make sense. You talked a little bit about puzzle elements earlier, and uh, I've noticed as, as I go through the puzzle elements, they can get very complex. How do you, and, and sometimes those puzzles are a reprieve or a break from the horror. How do you go about balancing a good puzzle uh, with horror elements and deciding when the player should be focused more on solving something? Uh, versus being scared of what's going on. Yeah, the the puzzle elements are are a, re, uh, a very heavy part of our game. I think they're they're actually I think the the main part of our game. I think we rely most on puzzles than in anything other and other other stuff. Uh, we just fought on the puzzles to be challenged, but not too difficult. Uh, we spent a lot of time uh, watching videos on YouTube, to, um, uh, seeing real puzzles, real puzzle boxes, see how people built that stuff and see how we could implement them in, in, in the game, how to transform it into a digital puzzle inside the game. So uh, we made a lot of a lot of research about this. We we're just trying to, to balance this challenging and rewarding. I think the, the rewarding feeling, I think, is the best part for the puzzle. And we wanted, we worked, worked a lot to bring to the player. Uh, we like to know that it's called that uh, aha moment when the player just figure out what he, what he, how to solve the puzzle. And he just, he just feel confident and smart because uh, after thinking a lot, he just, he just figured out how to solve this by by himself, and I think that's the the best feeling that this puzzle brings, which uh, give the player motivation to go further. And we just try to maybe give the, give him this motivation to go further, but at the same time, just present him another puzzle so he can be challenged again without too much space between the gameplay. So I think that's what keeps the player wanted to wanting to to go forward, wanting to advance on the story because he's always been being challenged. He's always been been uh, been showing something that he still don't know how to solve and he don't know how to use uh, some specific item and where to use. And so he just needs to explore the environment a lot. He needs to to think a lot on where he could use because everything is there. Everything has a solution and everything is fought on be challenging. I think that was our our main our main goal working on the puzzles to to make a reward to the player. I think uh for any listener that does end up picking up phobia, uh I have found that in some of the puzzles I will and I don't know Fabio if you've experienced this or, or seen this in other players, I will be absolutely stumped at times by a puzzle. I'll put the game down, I'll come back and the puzzle is immediately evident. How did I not think of this? The answer is right there. Uh, have you ever gone through that or seen that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it happens a lot. Uh, only uh, yesterday we were watching uh, a stream and a streamer uh, playing through all the game. And there's a lot of times when the 
the item that he needs and the answer was right in his face and he just was walking he walked around the hotel like three times and we were thinking oh my god the the answer is there you you just didn't see it it's so obvious but it's obvious for us because uh, actually we we just put it there and we are very used to see the to see everything there but i i think most of the time it happens because we try not to to leave things hidden and uh, for to find the, the finding the the main items of the game, they're they're most of the time they're right in your face. But I think since we have like an environment that is everything very well integrated, I think some items can be part part of the environment and they're not glowing and anything like that. So people can just pass the eye for the item and not see it as an item that he, he he has to interact with. I feel like I have one or two things in my inventory right now that I know are going to show up later, and I'm just not sure yet. And I think that's just exactly what you're describing. Um, Fabio, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the environments that you guys have created, the settings. Uh, the predominant amount of the story takes place in a haunted hotel is haunted the right word given the uh dangers that we face yeah actually it's not exactly haunted uh we we just say that phobia is kind of a mix of supernatural and a little bit of sci-fi and there's a lot of things happening there uh I can say that none of them are ghosts and anything like that, but uh, the hotel is not really haunted. It's part of the story of Roberto, the journalist, try to to go through the story because on on the history of the on the story of the game, the uh, the player goes to the hotel because it's known as a haunted hotel. But actually, we after. Uh, playing the game, playing through the story, we realize that it's not really the case. There's something else that can cause this named supernatural events, but we we can see that they're not really supernatural. There's something more, something different, something powerful behind it uh, that we try to explain through the game. But uh, we'd like to 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 say that uh, Phobia's story is kind of a, another puzzle of the game because, like, uh, Roberto is a journalist and he needs to investigate. So there's a lot of text reading, there's a lot of uh, investigation and connecting dots to to figure it out what's really happening there and what's the cause of everything, uh, all these supernatural events that are happening there that are not really supernatural, but can be called something like that. Without being too specific, it feels like maybe a bit of history plays into some of the uh, events that take place. In the story, is that a, a fair statement, or am I reading too much into seeing certain uh, countries represented? German, Portuguese. Uh, you, you mean like uh, real history? Correct. Yes. Uh, uh, no, no, no. The, all, all the stories, it's it's fictional. There's nothing based on real events and nothing like okay. that. Uh, actually, the we only based the city because of the city of the game is called. Trillas in, in English is 13 trails uh, and it's just the name of the city and the location is based on a real city 
but just that uh, we just took the inspiration from the architecture and something like that but nothing on the events there's nothing like that that's there's no hunted hotel on that city and nothing like that gotcha gotcha i was seeing references to, to germany and some of the background elements and and whatnot and gas masks. yeah there's 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 some there's something uh for germany not, not really germany it's like another uh europe country is austria uh but uh it has uh something to do with the background of one of the characters uh but just 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 that uh, it's not really much something very important to the game story Gotcha. Gotcha. I was just curious, you know, it's those little things when you're playing a game with so many puzzles like phobia, you start to look at something and be like, does this mean something else? And, you, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's what we wanted. We wanted to people to look at everything and started to theorize and started to think if there's a deeper meaning to to, to that thing is in, in, in question, because most of the things does have a meaning, but something are some things are just there to to bring this this feeling to the player. Things that are just just there and doesn't have any impact on the game or on the story or gameplay. Are just there to to maybe have the player to have this feeling that he's confused and he don't know what's related exactly to the story and what is not. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well. One of the questions that a listener wrote in for you, Fabio, was it came from Game Positive YouTube, which is a, a YouTube channel, uh, and they would like to know what are your personal phobias or fears, and did any of them make their way into the creative process for you developing the game? Uh, yeah, you, we actually had some some really weird phobias that we we studied for the for to to work on the game since uh, the game's not itself focused on phobias specifically we just like the name because it's like a overall representation of fear and stuff like that but mm -hmm. uh for me what's this, it was a a really hard time working on those uh, small spiders because i i'm really terrified of spiders and that gives me chills and see that thing work uh walking on the walls and maybe they they they're jumping on my face when or i was testing the game and stuff like that that i always scared me and that was a uh, yeah sometimes i i put the spider there and i forgot that it was there and i i scared myself because i didn't remember that so that happens a lot and it was a lot of i had a hard time approving models and working on concepts and stuff like that because i, I really hate looking at spider pictures and stuff like that but it's part of the game so i just have to deal with it I will tell you what, the first time, so I played the game only at night because it's a horror game and uh, my wife was asleep downstairs and when that first spider jumped on me, Fabio, I woke her up because I yelled so loud. <laughs> so I blame yeah. you for that then. Yeah, actually, can, it probably is it's my fault, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was a, a fun moment only after the fact, but I did not sleep well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's the funny thing on on horror games and films like that. Uh, it's fun at the moment that we have this care, but after we just it's it's kind of a weird feeling. We we like to be scared. That's really weird. Well, let me ask you this. This is an unfair question. Do you think you guys did a good job at creating a game that is scary? Yeah, I I think we. We did a lot of right things on 
on building the environment, on building the atmosphere. I, I think the the main purpose of the game was not to be really scary. Uh, I don't think people will just just be afraid of working or uh, afraid of playing the game because it's not a really really like that really heavy horror game. I think it's the 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 fear comes more from attention than uh, anything else because uh, that's what what we were trying to do. We didn't want like uh, to compare the game with like I don't know maybe Dead Space, which I think it's like a really heavy horror game, and I think it's really works different that we than what we tried to do. Uh, we we tried to create a different kind of of horror. And I think it's. I think we did a good job. Most of the feedbacks we are receiving uh, are saying that the, the environment and the, the atmosphere uh, are the one of the main parts of the game, and was one of the uh, the things that we did right. And I, I think it's doing a pretty good job on creating the tension and leave the player uh, and not not too scared, but a little worried on every on every place new that he goes and even that he the places he already been to. That makes sense. That makes good sense. I uh I, I always worry about those unfair questions because asking a creator or an artist, you know, is your picture done? Did you do it right? Is always tough because I feel like there's always stuff we would want to go back to, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't see a problem because I know there's a lot of things that we do we did good, but there's a lot of things that I, I can see today that could could be done better. But I think that is a process that's a learning process. Uh, this was our first game as a studio, so I think we for our first game we did a really good job and I'm proud of the work we did and I think we we if we if, if everything goes right we can have a a better idea and better, better learnings for, for future projects. Do you have ideas for future projects or are we staying focused on St. Dinfa? Uh, yeah, for, for now we're just focusing on getting these feedbacks, trying to see what what still can be improved on for phobia on probably future patches and stuff like that. We see things that can be improved. Uh, we're trying to to see where we can improve the experience for the players and stuff like that. So we're just focusing on improving this experience right now and trying not to, f to think a lot about the future because uh, we've been a lot on that project and we just want to enjoy this part, to enjoy this, this releasing and uh, take out the most of it for us and then starting to think our next, our next steps. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you guys released the title, uh, and for listeners, you should know it's available on PlayStation 4, 5, and the Xbox One and Xbox Series devices, uh, as well as PC. Uh, was it difficult, or is it difficult to, to release on multiple platforms? It, I'm getting the idea this is your first game, yes? Yeah, it's our first game as a studio. Uh, I already worked on, on Environment Artist uh, for uh, different games, but uh, directing, working... Uh, specifically on the launching of the game is my first time. 
Uh, it's actually pretty challenging for us to work on, on all these platforms because we just in that that transition of generations. So we had like the double amount of platforms to to develop for. So there's a lot of testing and a lot of platforms to test everything. Uh, for us on the first time, it was pretty challenging. Porting the game to a console is always a challenging process and it can be really tricky sometimes. Uh, but I think we, we had help from another Brazilian studio here that was a little bit more experienced. And then he just, he, they, they gave us a lot of help that we needed uh, and it, it really make, made the process a lot easier if we didn't have any help. I think we were still uh, trying to, to make the game run smoothly on consoles. Um, if you don't mind my asking, what is, this is a strange question as well, the development atmosphere like in Brazil, I often hear about developers from uh, all parts of Europe or Japan or North America. I don't know that I've spoken to very many Brazilian game developers. Yeah, I, I, I think we, we have a lot of great talents here. Uh, I think Brazilian artists are scattered all around the world on greatest companies doing uh, doing the biggest triple A's on the marketing. Uh, but here in Brazil, we don't have a established market, uh, established development hub and anything like that because there's not, not a lot of investments on companies that are working here and uh, there's a lot of taxes, there's a lot of things uh, on paperwork that involves, uh, but I think the process is getting better. I think we have a lot of promising games coming out uh, anytime soon. Uh, people are just see that they, they are able to, to stay here in Brazil and try to to make games here. Uh, for now, even Brazilian people don't still believe a lot in Brazilian projects because we're not really used to see a, a big Brazilian game. Like we, we never had like a AAA game coming out from Brazil and uh, there's nothing even close to that. So uh, it's, we're really starting to develop developing this, this development hub and we're just trying to gather the community and talk to everybody here and see if we can make it work because there's a lot of talent here and we we just don't want them to simply go in and working for companies around the world of course this is this is awesome but uh some people just want to stay here and working working in brazil so we're just trying to make this this hub to grow, I think we can be part of this and we can help. Maybe Phobia can be just the first step and we can have like new games coming out and that can help people to see that the games can be done here and we can have good good and quality games coming out from here. That's brilliant. And I really hope that is the case because uh, making games is not an easy task, but it's clear yeah. that you guys put a lot of love into yours. Uh, before we close out, Fabio, I wonder if you would like to point players to uh, any particular place or is there something specific about the game that you would like them to check out? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't know what you mean. Like a favorite part of the game or something that you would hope they would see that maybe they wouldn't catch right away. For for me, one of the things that scared the, me to death that is not meant to be scary, there is a uh, a deer head on the wall <laughs> that went in the early part yeah. of the game. And if you look at that thing in night vision, it's like it's smiling at you. And I am horrified <laughs> by that. 
Yeah, yeah, actually this this dear head that comes comes in top queue with a lot of conversations no! we already had. Uh, that was a really a really nice touch that we had because uh, it was nothing there and when people put the camera we, we just see that deer in front of you and it's a, a really scary a scary part. It, it's a lot. I think we, we try to put a lot of these small elements throughout the environment. Uh, we want people to explore it with a lot of attention because there's a lot of things to see, a lot of things to discover, to check. There's a lot of Easter eggs scattered, scattered around the hotel, a lot of things just to see. And let's see, hmm, I know this stuff. <laughs> I, I recognize this, this, this pattern or this model or this symbol from something else. Uh, there's a lot of things to work. I think the from the from the old the overall game, I think the the hotel is my favorite part. I think it's it deserves the most attention to the player, and uh, would be really help if people look closely because we put a lot of effort. Uh, we did everything with a lot of love, and we just tried to make our best to create the the most immersive environment that we were able to. That's fantastic. Fantastic, Fabio. Uh, well, I would give you the opportunity as we close, uh, if you'd like to plug any social media outlets or, or let people know where they should pick up the game, feel free. Yeah, okay. Uh, for social media, our, our main social media is Twitter. Uh, we use is at Pulsatrix Studio with, with, without the S because we, the, the S didn't fit with the character count. So it's just at Pulsatrix Studio. Uh, it's our main our main platform for now. It's the Twitter. Uh, you can buy the game on all the platforms available. Just go to the Maximum Games website. We have a store there that you can check all the platforms available and all the retailers and sellers and all, all the kind of stuff. So uh, it would I would be really happy if people are would be will enjoy the game and having a good time playing. So I really hope people try and take a look and see see our work. And I don't know. I think that's it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Fabio Martins of Pulsatrix Studios, thank you for joining me today. No, thank you. Look, uh, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you.